There's something about children that just melts our heart, doesn't it? That's why even the passage that's before us is such an important one, because we're coming to a long-anticipated passage. Genesis chapter 21. It's anticipated because we've been talking about what's going to be fulfilled in this passage for weeks, even months. In this passage, we see the birth of the promised child. We see none other than Abraham and Sarah's true son, even Isaac himself. So with the hope of God's promise extended through the ages and even the lineage of faith through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob through Christ all the way down to you and me. Let's together turn our attention to the Word of God. Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse 1 and extending to verse 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time at which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah that she would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. The son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. 
And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we have heard this word read in your presence now, we ask for your help and we ask for your blessing. Come now and speak a living word to us in such a manner so that as we hear it on the spot in this room right now, we will receive it for the living, true, and transformative word that it is. For that to happen, you must do it. So come and be the preacher in this room and speak a word that is simply beyond the hearing of a voice, but is within the deep recesses of the heart, the voice of change and of transformation, the voice of your spirit taking the word to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you will know the name Mark Dever. He is a pastor, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He is the founder of fairly well-known ministry, especially in the Southern Baptist Church known as Nine Marks Ministries. A few years ago, he published a couple of volumes, one entitled The Message of the Old Testament, another one entitled The Message of the New Testament. But what I love about these volumes, a number of things, very helpful uh, within the content of those volumes, but one of the things I love about the title of those two volumes is, is the subtitle. Because right next to The Message of the Old Testament, he writes the subtitle, Promises Made. And right next to the message of the New Testament, he writes the subtitle, Promises Kept. Promises made, promises kept. In many ways, that is the message of the entirety of the Bible. That God is making to his people promises. And he is carrying them along on his promises. And in the unfolding of history, we see that his promises are not merely verbal fiat. They're not merely wishes. They're not just merely lofty dreams or hope. But they're grounded in the reality of a God who will accomplish that which he has told us he will do. And in fact, I would give to you... The possibility that the promises made and promises kept as a pattern of communication might be the best way to summarize the life of Abraham. A man who we are introduced to in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, through the promises of God that are made. And a man who here in Genesis chapter 21, after months of studying him together, we see the promise kept as Isaac himself appears on the pages of Scripture. Uh, The text actually bends over backwards to show us this. 
In those opening verses, the focus is placed entirely on the faithfulness of God to do what it is that He has promised to do. Verses 1 and 2, He says to us, The Lord visited Sarah as He said. And the Lord did to Sarah as He promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Three times in the first two verses, the focus is on as he said, as he promised, as he spoke. That speaking most immediately was in Genesis chapter 18, just a couple of chapters ago, when the Lord, along with several angelic visitors, came to Abraham and came to Sarah and said, you know, in about a year, when I come back here, Sarah's going to be with child. That was Genesis 18, this is Genesis 21, but that goes all the way back to Genesis 12. When God had said to Abraham decades earlier, it's a long time, between Genesis 12 and where we are in Genesis 21, decades earlier, God had said to Abraham, you will be made a great nation. And through your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What's interesting about this passage is this faithfulness of God we see displayed in the heart and the life of Abraham. And I think you can probably give testimony that this often is the way our own growth in faith happens in the Christian life. When we hear God's promises, we read them in the Word, and then in some tangible and real way, we see those promises revealed and answered in our own hearts and lives, it does so much to encourage our faith, doesn't it? Because there's so many other things in life and there's so many other experiences in the course of our life that make us question, that make us doubt. Is God really going to follow through on this? Is this really going to turn out the way that he's promised to turn it out as I look at the world and I read the headlines and I consider where it is? It seems history is going according to the eyes that that are in my head. It just doesn't seem like things are going to turn out quite the way they are. And then I'll see a glimmer of hope. Then I'll see the Lord shift or move something. I'll hear a report of a, of a foreign nation. I'll, I'll hear of a movement of the Lord. And you'll begin to see, wait, the Spirit is alive and working. God is accomplishing His promises. And in that moment, my heart is strengthened in the faith. And you know what often happens as a residual effect from the work of God's promises in my life? I now want to give my life over to obeying the commands of God and His promises in a new and fresh way. Doubt has a way of leaving us with spiritual ambiguity to where it often leaves us vulnerable to sin and susceptibility. How many times in the life of Abraham have we seen him doubt and then pretty quickly slip into sin? I would say if you looked at your own life when you've doubted the promises of God, even though they've been clearly revealed in the Word and you begin to wonder, is He going to come through, that you have seen yourself slip into the vulnerability of sin? It happens very often. But when we see our faith being built in the realization of what God is doing, our heart response is, I want to walk in line with everything that God has said. 
Now we actually see that as an example in our passage because after we see God's faithfulness to man in the keeping of his promise, we also see an example in this passage of Abraham's faithfulness to God. Look at verses 3 and 4. We're, said, we're told that Abraham called the name of his son that was born to him, whom Sarah had born to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, just as God had commanded him. Notice that language. In Genesis chapter 18, God had named the son that Abraham would have in the future. God said to him, you're going to have a son in about a year from now. And when you have a son, I want you to name him Isaac. What do we see Abraham do faithfully in this passage? He names his son the exact name which God had given him to name him. He obeyed the promises of God. And then what else did he do? He applied to God the sign of God's covenant love and promises towards him throughout the generations to come. He gave to him the sign of the covenant, circumcision. Isaac was the first son on the eighth day to ever receive circumcision. Which is the parallel sign to the sign we just celebrated right here on this platform this morning, the sign of baptism. Ishmael had received the sign, but he didn't receive the sign until he was 13 years old. Isaac is the first son of a newborn covenant family, as it were, to follow in the pattern of extending the promises down through the ages. And that's exactly what we see happening here. Can you imagine Abraham holding his own son, walking through the sign of the covenant promise, putting the covenant promise on the promised son through which redemption? It's an amazing story. It's an incredible vision. And he must have reminded him of the time in which God had actually given him the sign. Maybe you'll remember it was Genesis chapter 16 where Abraham and Sarah decided to take the birth of a son into their own hands. And Sarah gave to Abraham Hagar, and through Hagar, Ishmael was born. And then God, very faithfully in Genesis 17, said, no, that's not how it's going to go down. My plan is to use your wife, Sarah. She is the means through which I'm going to bring forth the promised son. And I'm going to give you the sign of circumcision to remind you of this. And it's a quite graphic sign. As you probably, I actually wasn't here the week that we looked at Genesis chapter 17. Our brother Tony preached that week. But probably as you'll remember from that text, in that sign, that graphic sign of which we would say, I would never choose this sign by which to share my promises. This is what God was doing. Had not Abraham just committed the sin of adultery to produce a son of his doubt? And so what did God do? God went into the very flesh that Abraham used in his doubt in order to say, my promises will be true. My promises are yes and amen. And every time that you doubt it, all you got to do is look at your flesh. I've branded my promises into you. I will bring forth my son in and through you. It's a graphic sign. God's for real about this. And by Genesis chapter 21, can you imagine when he is standing there circumcising his own son? 
and remembering when circumcision was instated and the reasons for it with regards to the confirming of God, how the tears must have rolled down his eyes, when he began to realize God had been faithful to his promises. It's really humorous. Actually, when you look at this text, it's humorous because we have a hundred-year-old father in here. How many hundred-year-old fathers do you know? Don't, don't know very many, do we? How, how many 90-year-old mothers? Yeah, it gets even given in a little wilder in the context of this passage. Hundred-year-old father, 90-year-old mother. I want you to just picture that. They have a brand new child. We have a, we have a nursing 90-year-old mother in the context of this passage. It, it almost makes you want to laugh, which is exactly what Sarah did. In this passage, that, that's exactly where the passage takes us. It's actually the passage and really hangs together over the language of, of laughter. Because what God has come to do, and just, just kind of encourage you to see what it is that he's saying to you in this text. When you hold on to my promises and you believe them. And you see that I will keep my promises to you. It will restore unto you the joy and the laughter of your salvation. Here's a 100-year-old father and a 90-year-old mother laughing together over a child that they've longed to have for decades. Look at the beauty of what's said there in verse 6. God has made laughter for me, Sarah says. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Isn't that true? We're laughing thousands of years later. At the reality of this story. Now, here's what's even richer and deeper in the context of this passage. Some of you probably have already seen this because you, you know this text. The name given by God to Abraham for his son Isaac is, the, is a name that actually means laughter. Isaac's name, the definition of it is, is laughter. Now, we got that first back in Genesis chapter 17. So remember, when his name was originally given, it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny at all. It was a moment of lamentation. In the midst of sin and in the midst of doubt, God said, I'm going to give you a child by the name of laughter. Now, why was he going to give them a child by the name of laughter? Because when they heard that God was going to give them a child when they were really, really old, they... They laughed, but not with, not with joy and belief, with unbelief and disbelief. What? You're, you're going to do what? We read it in Genesis chapter 17, 17. Listen, listen to even the way the text reads. Abraham fell on his face and laughed when God told him that he was going to have a son. If you, if you know the expression... We were, we were rolling on the floor laughing. He fell on his face laughing. Like this is just, you, this is the most ridiculous and ludicrous thing I have ever heard. Shall a child be born to me? This is Abraham's words in Genesis 17. Shall a child be born to me, a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And God says in the next verse, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. You're laughing your head off. And I'm going to give you a son named Laughter. 
And we're told in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 12, Sarah's overhearing the dialogue between the Lord and the angelic visitors who've come to visit Abraham. And she hears that she's going to have a child. And we're told, so Sarah laughed to herself, Genesis 18, 12. And she said, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? After I'm worn out and old, shall I have pleasure? You you know what's actually hinted at in the context of this passage? She's thinking, we're so old that, that even the way in which you have children is not very frequent. Am I really going to go back to that? That's literally the context here. Am I going to go back to that? I, I think we're past that. I, I think that ship has sailed. And God says, I'm going to give you a child named Laughter. Because it's that funny. Verses 13 and 14 of Genesis chapter 18, we read those words that you probably remember. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child not now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. You know, when you read those words in verse 6 of our passage, and she, she says, God has made laughter for me. Do you see the double entendre? The Lord has made laughter. She's holding laughter. God has made Isaac. And in making Isaac, he has given to her laughter. There's more going on in this text than just what meets the eye. He's made laughter. And he has given to me laughter. He he has given to me the joy of of this son, this son Isaac. More than this, friends, after years of lamentation. After years of barrenness. If we can put it this way in the ancient Near East. After years of people laughing at her. Even Hagar in chapter 16 looked at her with contempt, we're told, when she bore a child and Sarah couldn't. After years of that experience, the Lord made for her laughter. He made for her laughter. And still notice more than this, laughter has been extended not just to her, but to everyone who hears it. I want you to just just contemplate what it is that is being said in that text. People are going to come over with their casseroles and their baby gifts and the cute little PJs that are monogrammed. And they're going to give them to to Sarah and they're going to give them to to Abraham and they're just going to laugh. They're going to be like, this is unbelievable. This is, this is unbelievable. And she said, everybody throughout history is going to hear this, is going to laugh over me. Notice, not laugh at me. The language here of laugh over me is the language that we hear other, other places in the prophets, is that God sings over us. His banner over us, his love, that this language of over is this idea they're going to rejoice. They're going to just, in astonishment, they're going to give praise to God. They're going to laugh over the situation. There is just going to be uproarious excitement that's going to just ripple, not just within Sarah and Abraham's nuclear family, but through everyone who hears it. The whole camp is going to be just 
laughing together over the astonishment of God's promises. But I think it's even more than that, friends. I think is that every time this text is opened, throughout all of human history, when the story of Abraham and Sarah is brought to light, you and I in Middle Tennessee, thousands of years later, thousands of miles away, look at what God has done, and we smile and we chuckle a little bit in laughter. Because when we begin to hold fast to the promises of God, and we begin to walk in the light of His promises and commands, He restores to us the joy and the laughter of salvation. Do you see the reason that we can laugh this morning, brothers and sisters? Is because the promised Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come. This world is full of sadness and brokenness and grief. I was on the phone last night with someone who just lost a loved one, and we wept together. This is a very sad world in which to live in. At the end of that phone call, we laughed together. You know why? Because they knew the Lord. They knew the Lord. The person who died knew the Lord. I was reflecting on, you know, I can't wait to meet him. When, when I'm in heaven, because as I hear the testimony of who this person is, they just sound like a riot. I, I'm going to enjoy in the presence of the Lord getting to know this person made in his image, now glorified and righteous, and we're going to have all the time in the world because we're going to be there eternity to be able to swap stories in the presence of Jesus and rejoice with the saints. It's going to be amazing in the midst of grief. As tears well up in our eyes, we're laughing at the prospect Because a promised son has come. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And and we may have have gotten so consumed with this world. And the grief and the burden and the heaviness of this world. That we have forgot to look to the world to come. And when we look to the world to come. You know what we see? We see our elder brother, the son of the Lord Jesus, the son of the father, the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand, living to make intercession for us. And the fact when the moment of judgment should be rung over our heads, what happens instead? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest with a belly full of joyful laughter. That's what the Lord has given to us. You see, this passage is teaching us that God has made us for the laughter that is heaven. For the rejoicing of the fulfillment of His promises. One of the reasons that the practice that we're talking about, performing next week together on November the 4th, of just remembering those who've gone before us in the Lord into glory, is to remember that God has made us for that kind of hope and that kind of laughter. He's made us for that kind of joy. And maybe the reflection that the Lord is calling you into this week is, where has God made laughter for you? Where has He made laughter for you? What laughter are you holding? What laughter has He given to you? And who is it that you can invite into that laughter of what it is that the Lord has accomplished? You know, it is, it is laughable that some of us are here. It's it's laughable that God has loved us enough because not many of us were wise. (laughs) Not many of us were rich or, or of great pedigree. It's laughable that he's called you his son and his daughter. Not laughable in disbelief, not laughable in mocking, but laughable in joy and astonishment. 
that you are a son and you are his daughter. That's what in some ways makes this passage grieving. We can't get to everything within the context of it. This is what the sweet piece of what this text wants to reveal to us. But when we see laughter showing up later in this text, if you just glance at it, verse 8, as they're having this great feast after after Isaac has been weaned, And they're rejoicing together. Notice verse 8. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham. Notice verse 9. Laughing. You see, the whole text is actually full of laughter, but it's different types of laughter. There's laughter of disbelief that we saw in Abraham and Sarah throughout the last several chapters. There's laughter of joy in the salvation and the provision of God. But do you know the context of laughter here? Well, it's it's actually the the etymology of Isaac's name. So we could read it this way in 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 a form of speaking. We could read it this way. Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing at Isaac. It's actually Isaac's, Isaac's name. But it's Isaac's name in an intensive form, in a mockery form. In, in a form that's ridiculing. You know, we laugh when we're happy and joyous, but we sometimes laugh when we're mocking. What this is actually giving us a picture of is that Ishmael, the, the son who is not of promise... The son who is born of Abraham's doubt, the one in whom the legacy of redemption will not come forth, sees the celebration over the weanness of this promised child, and he mocks it. He mocks it. Now, maybe we say to ourselves, this is understandable. I mean, Ishmael's 13 years old. At this, you know, he's you know, 13, and then he's well, he's actually 16 by this moment, 13 when Isaac was born, 16 probably by the time he's weaned, probably around three years old. It's not far-fetched for there to be a sibling rivalry that's going on here. I mean, who's not experienced that in the context of a birthday, you know, where so-and-so gets the presents and the other doesn't? That a little mockery might happen, a little jealousy arises up. Is that how we should should read the text? Well, if we read it that way, it would seem weird in verse 10 that Sarah's response would be so severe. You know, in verse 10, she sees Ishmael laughing and she says, Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Well, okay, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she's a, you know, she's a first-time mother. Um, she's a mother late in life. Um, she's protective of her son. Maybe, maybe this is an overreaction. Well, here's the problem. If that's the case, why would God come in verse 12 and say to Abraham, do exactly what Sarah said? Well, that seems a little, little strange. Something's going on here. What's going on? Well, when you begin to look into the pages of the Bible a little deeper, we go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 29. And when the Apostle Paul writes of this situation, you know what he says? He says that the slave woman, Hagar, and her son persecuted, persecuted Sarah and Isaac, the promised son. The language is strong. It's as if to indicate in the laughing, there's a, there's a laughing that mocks, but there's a laughing that's scary. You know what I'm talking about? A kind of haunting, threatening, almost 
notorious kind of laughter. And in the midst of this, what you're seeing brewing within the context of this passage is a division, a clash. I'd like to put it this way because I think the Bible would. I see a conflict between two seeds. Do you remember this? It's kind of a big deal in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we're told that there's going to be a seed of the woman, and there's going to be a seed of the serpent, and there's going to be a significant clash. And we already saw that on the pages of Scripture with Cain and Abel. We're going to see it later with Jacob and Esau. We'll see it still later with Joseph and his brothers, and we see it right here with Isaac and Ishmael. It's the line of clash that goes throughout the pages of Scripture between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so what we're actually seeing in the context of this passage is the kind of tension that the Bible said we would experience between those who are the lineage of the faith of redemption and those who are the lineage of the spawn of Satan himself. You see, it may in your mind say, well, let's give Ishmael just a pass here. This is hard. Well, I understand that. But actually, the spirit of the text is much more severe. He's not just mocking and sibling rivalry. He is rejecting God's anointed. And posing a threat to God's anointed. Do you remember how this went down with Cain and Abel? Sibling rivalry can get violent. And in the context of these two seeds, Sarah sees a threat. And for the preservation of the history of redemption, the sending away of the slave woman and her son is mentioned in the midst of the text so that we could get eventually through the lineage of redemption all the way down to Luke chapter 1 where we have a really old woman by the name of Elizabeth who's way past childbearing years have a son whose name is John the Baptist who when he is in womb, in in utero, comes into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, who's in the womb of Mary. And I just want to ask you, what do you remember that he did? He laughed. He, He leaped for joy. Because the seed had finally come to the true promised Son. You see, that's what the pages of Scripture is teaching us. Every passage in the Bible was leading us there. And it's leading us to more joy and more glory in what it is that God has revealed because you're in the lineage if you are trusting in Christ. And today, my friends, He has made laughter for you. He has made laughter for you. And everyone who hears about you And what he has done for you is going to laugh over you. Because the glorious joy that is the gospel restores unto us the laughter that is rightfully ours in Christ. Friends, this passage is telling you lift up your chin a little bit. It's dark and as difficult as this world is. It is passing away. God is doing a new thing. He is making a new heavens and new earth. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. He will take you there. And for the rest of eternity, you will smile in joy and with laughter in his presence. That's your future in Christ. So lift up your head.
Take some time this week to remember God's kindness and His grace to you. And if you can, and I pray you can, laugh. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for making laughter. And we thank you for restoring to us even this day in your word the joy of our salvation. Come and work this text into our lives and in reflection and in application of this text this week. Let us more and more be given over to its richness and its truth. Astonished at what it is you're saying to us and what it is you've done. And lead us further in to these realities by your grace and for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Oh.